Hey everybody, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. Instead of, instead of preaching at you today, I thought I'd just talk with you. Uh, we're, we're, as a staff, we're going through talking about our, our vision and our mission and our values, what makes NAC different than the church down the street. And I was so pleased that each of us as pastors uh, came up with this keyword independently. Um, it's, a, it's a high value for me. It's not a value I hear talked a lot about in other churches, uh, much less lived out. And the word is authentic. And I want us to be an authentic people, real people with real problems who serve a real God. And that means being a people who are comfortable with brokenness, who are increasingly okay showing their warts and all and uh, working through hard things as opposed to you know just sweeping them under the carpet. People who would be honest, people who would be okay with not being okay. And uh, I gotta tell you lately when people have asked me how I am, I do a quick calculation in my head and I'm like, do I have the time or the vulnerability or the energy to be authentic right now? Do they really want to know? Do I really want to get into it? Um, do you want the short answer or do you want the true answer? So honestly, I have not modeled authenticity at all times lately. Some of it might be a bit of self-protection, pride, sick of the sound of my own whininess, uh, knowing even that I'm putting people in a bit of an uncomfortable spot, people who want to help, who really can't. So I'll just put it out there. Uh, lately, I'm not okay. There are mental health issues that I've struggled with for a lot of my adult life. It's not something that I haven't made progress in, I have, uh, but I'll often take two steps forward and then one step back, and I guess I'm in one of those one step back seasons. And I'm really hoping I'm not making anyone uncomfortable. I might be. For those who are, are super empathetic, who feel the weight of other people's pain, I don't want you to leave here heavier this morning. For those who are fixers and want to problem solve, I, I don't want you to leave here with your mind racing on how to make things better. I had somebody out west, I think I told you once, a newer Christian, who said, uh, I wish you wouldn't talk about 
your struggles publicly because if you pastors haven't figured this out, what hope do the rest of us have? And what he didn't understand is that, of course, we haven't figured this out. Uh, This thing called life, uh, that's why my job isn't to be some Bible answer man, but to point people to, to proclaim Jesus and point people to the one who really has got this thing called life figured out, and that Jesus can be your strength and your wisdom and your hope when it seems you have none of those things. But my struggle and my disclosure this morning might uh, only be a self-indulgent exercise if it weren't for the fact that I know, I know so many of you this morning are not okay either. And you know, I don't even have something I can necessarily point to, uh, which many of you do. I see Dagmar and I, I think of the waves of grief that still must come. Uh, Lawrence, who, who has a legit reason to feel grief. Mike and Kirsten, many of you. And uh, I've not done some sort of internal polling, although uh, those who have done sort of national polling uh, will tell you that we as a culture uh, haven't been this emotionally off kilter in a generation. And I, I know that many of you are not okay because many of you are telling me that. And for others, I'm, I'm just seeing it. I'm sensing it. I'm discerning it. And something is going on these days, something widespread that we haven't seen in my lifetime. So I'm wondering, how y'all doing? Like, really? I don't want to sound like Joey from Friends. How you doing? (laughs) It's kind of complicated, isn't it? Like, if you had to describe your emotional state in one or two words, what would it be? Let Let me rephrase. If you had to describe your emotional state in one or two words, but no cuss words, what would it be? It's much harder now, isn't it? I'll bet many of you would say, numb. You just feel numb. Uh, and I'm not even sure that's an emotion. It's like the absence of emotions. It's, 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 it's deeply unhealthy, though. Um, I bet a lot of you feel angry these days. You can't point to one thing, but you find yourself just in this cloud of anger and underlying irritation. Uh, I know many of you are anxious. You're afraid. There's this great word that came out more into our vocabulary during COVID, Keith West reintroduced it to me, languishing, the sense of of a lack of motivation, a a sense of apathy, restless, Um, the things that used to bring you joy don't. Millennials spell it M-E-H, meh, languishing, unsettled might summarize how you're feeling these days. It used to be easy to go to church, let's say, and now you're wondering if it's even worth leaving the house. Your spirit says yes, but your body is saying no. 
are we allowed to shake hands anymore? Or hugging seems still like a no-no. Or is, is knuckle bumping even better? Is elbow the new handshake? Like, And there's this tension in the air. You're not sure what you might bring up that will offend somebody. Vaccines, race, politics, woke, unwoke, economics. And many of you are feeling what I'm feeling. So in what could be described almost as a last minute series, what I thought we would do over the next few weeks is dive into this theme of of difficult emotions, potentially toxic emotions, and hopefully talk about them from a a gospel-centered perspective. And I'm, I'm gonna invite different people from our NAC community, people who are experts in their own way, either because of their vocation or their gifting or ministry or because of the experiences that they've faced. And I'm really looking forward to hearing from them because I, I could use some people speaking wisdom into my life. Uh, let me just say, first of all, God has given us emotions. They are from God. Uh, in fact, Jesus, 100% man, 100% God, perfect in, in every way, he displayed the whole spectrum of emotions. What, what he endured, what he felt, how he reacted, it just might give us some foundation on how to process our confusing or out of whack emotions. I, I didn't do the legwork on this research, but someone who did says that in the Gospels, Jesus actually displayed at least 39 different emotions. Um, for years, I didn't even know there were 39 emotions. Uh, and then I had three teenage daughters. And like a lot of men, I have a hard time even identifying my own emotions. It's usually anger and hunger. And then I found out hunger isn't an emotion. Is sleepy, is that? No. Jesus, who was God in the flesh, expressed and felt very real emotions. I'll just give you a few examples. For instance, when Jesus looked over Jerusalem, and he saw all these people that he loved and who God loved and who were disconnected from God. He felt this deep, sincere emotion of grief. They're they're missing out on the very things that God wanted for them. Uh, Whenever there was religious leaders who cared more about rules, more about the law than they did about people, he felt a righteous anger toward that kind of hypocrisy and that lack of grace. Um, When 72 followers came back and were talking about how God had used them and how how they had made a difference, he felt this overwhelming sense of being overjoyed, maybe maybe even proud uh, at their faithfulness that God used these people. Let me ask you this, if you were super lazy and you had to memorize one scripture verse, what would it be? Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. Man, there's a lot going on in those two words, isn't there? It reveals so much, I think, about who Jesus is. He was not aloof or distant from the people he met. He was 
present. He wept. God has given each of us this capacity to feel deeply, and Jesus felt deeply. So when his friend Lazarus died, even though he knew he had the power to raise Lazarus from the dead, Jesus felt the motion of just profound sadness and and wept over the death of his friend. Um, Before going to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, in that garden that he was at, Jesus (laughs) knew what was about to come and he felt lonely. He felt overwhelming anxiety. So, Am I using a sermon series in part to work through some of my own out-of-balance emotions? Maybe. But I think I have my ear to the ground enough, not only to the culture, but I think to this congregation specifically, to know that I'm far from alone in this. This, um, this will resonate with many of you. And if you happen to be one of those people who I, I know are here, who actually are very stable in your feelings these days, you're, you're joyful, you're optimistic, you're hopeful, you don't understand what all this sad sack talk is about, um, I'd ask you to stay with me, stay with us in this. Firstly, we need you more than ever. Um, we need your perspective. We need your glass half full attitude, your encouragement. Isn't that how the body works when, when someone is down? Another's emotional strength can be a, a blessing and a gift. Also, um, if you're in a great place emotionally, I guarantee you know someone who is not. You may share a bedroom with them. You may share a workplace with them. Uh, you can be a minister of encouragement these days. And uh, also this, this feeling of not being okay is gonna hit you someday. And uh, maybe some of this gospel insight will, will stick with you when you face those storms. You know, so, so you store up that wisdom for a time when you need it yourself. It's like when we do a teaching on marriage or, or parenting, like I don't want the young adults just to check out because it doesn't apply to them today because it will likely apply to them somewhere down the road. So what I want to do today is to start our series on emotions is look at one of the emotions of Jesus. And it, it's in Luke 7. If, if you want to follow along in your Bible, we'll start in, in verse 11. Jesus had just finished preaching his famous sermon on the mount, and we spent four months going through that a while ago. Here's what it says in in verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son. And a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, Here's the emotion. His heart overflowed with compassion. So Jesus looked at her and he said, don't cry. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it and the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Luke says that great fear swept the crowd. 
And they praise God saying, a mighty prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people today. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. The power of Jesus expressed through this deep and sincere compassion. Let's just try to visualize this. Jesus is, is, is walking up and there's this funeral procession. It would look a lot different than what we would know today. It wasn't uncommon even to, to, to pay people to mourn and they would bring their flutes and their tambourines and they walk down the street and they would play instruments and they would wail in sadness. You know, this is a people and a culture even to this day who do not have our Western hangups about just full throttled grieving. Um, you know, not like our quiet, restrained, dignified grieving. There's an outpouring of emotion. And I'm not an expert on these things, but I can't help but feel maybe intuitively that that Middle Eastern expression of grief might be healthier than ours. So Jesus walks up on this very emotional, very loud scene. And uh, there's some things we know, there's some things, a lot of things we don't know. For example, we don't know much about this poor, grieving single mom. We don't know how old she is, which, which she could have been 23. She could have been in her late 30s. Uh, we don't know how her husband died. Was it an accident? Was it some sort of prolonged sickness? We don't know. We don't know how old the boy was. Was he three years old? Was he 12? Was he a grown man? We really don't know. Um, what we do know is most likely the boy had died the day before. The reason we would know that is because back in this time in history, they didn't have the same types or quality of embalming that we would know today. And because of that climate, whenever a person died, the burial needed to happen quickly, almost always the next day. So if you can imagine, you've already got this young mom who's lost her husband, uh, this boy's father, and now she's a widow and she loses her only son, like yesterday. She's overwhelmed with grief at her deepest moment of pain. And verse 13 says, the Lord Jesus saw her. He saw her. What's really interesting is there's over 40 references in the gospel that were told that Jesus saw someone. But I think what the author is telling us, he didn't just see, he noticed. There's a difference between looking and seeing, isn't there? I'm a dude. Sometimes I can see and unfortunately not notice. Vicky recently got a really nice cut and dye and gave me all kinds of time to notice, to say something. I saw her, I didn't notice until finally she asked, what do you think of my hair? As like the scales came off my eyes and all at once, Instead of looking, I was seeing, I was noticing. She's so, she's so patient with me, but she's, she's a lot better at noticing 
than I am. We would come back from your house if we, if we visited. And she'd be like, that's the kind of flooring that I want for our place. And I'd be like, they had floors? I didn't, know, I didn't notice. Uh, Jesus doesn't just see her. He noticed her. A single mom, a widow who lost her husband, and now she sees her only son in the middle of this chaos. Jesus felt the very same thing that he feels for you whenever you are hurting, when you're afraid, when your marriage is struggling, when you're trying to pay the bills and you don't know how you're gonna, um, whenever you're praying like crazy for a child who's making decisions that you're not in agreement with, when you're aching, hoping your child will be okay. Jesus feels the very same thing for you when you're hurting as he did for this woman who was in pain. It says, when the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. It's like, it's like there wasn't even enough room in his heart for all the compassion that he felt. It's his heart overflowed with compassion. It's an interesting word. It's the root Greek word that's translated as this compassion. Really cool word. The word is splagna, S-P-L-A-G-N-A, splagna. And it, it means to feel from the guts. There's no stronger word in the Greek language to represent the depth of compassion. It'd be like this. It'd be like you're driving up the 401 and you see a car crash and most of us have probably had that experience at some point, and you have this sinking feeling, oh, I hope they're okay, and you feel for them, but then you come closer and you recognize the car. Uh, you realize you actually know these people. These are people that you love. That's splagna. It's the depths of compassion. It's hurting from the guts. And the Lord saw her pain. He noticed and he felt it in his guts. Maybe I'm mostly preaching to myself today. I, I know I'm at very least preaching to myself today. But you need to know the Lord our God knows what you're going through. And he cares about you more than you can imagine. He hears the cries of your heart. He knows when you feel desperate. He knows when you, you can't catch your breath, when your heart rate pounds and you just feel so much anxiety that you can barely even find your next breath. The Lord sees you. When you're praying to find your next job, when you feel afraid, the Lord sees you. He notices you. He cares. Jesus sees this grieving single mom and he hurts with her. He grieves for her. And then in verse 13, he says this. He says to her, <clears throat> don't cry. And he walks over to the coffin and he touched it. And the bearer stopped. He touched it. He touched the coffin. By the way, the coffin wouldn't, be anything like we would know as a coffin. The body most certainly would be exposed. And so Jesus touching this was, was absolutely scandalous. 
people would have gasped out loud because the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, had all these rules to separate the holy people, the clean people, from the unholy people, the unclean people. And one of the biggie rules was you don't touch a dead body. In fact, you don't even touch anything that touched a dead body. And if you do, you'll become unclean. And so Jesus crosses a big line here. I love this about Jesus. Jesus is a line crosser. He is a rule breaker. Why Why would he cross that line? Why? Because... Love crosses lines. Um, He crosses lines for those that he loves. When religion, what religion does, distorted religion anyways, religiosity, legalism, it's all about rules and not about love. And what it does is it draws lines to keep people out. No rules, No laws can keep Jesus from expressing the depth of the compassion he feels for those who are hurting. Jesus touches this boy. And imagine the the crowd gasps. How can you do this? But more incredibly is the boy who was once dead now gasps. (gasps) He took a breath. And he started talking. Somebody here right now needs to know that whatever feels dead in your life, with one touch, Jesus can bring it back to life. You need one touch, just one touch from the author of life, the one who makes dead things alive. Just one touch, just one moment, just one word, one glimpse that not only is he with you, but he cares for you. What did it take to completely alter this boy and his grieving mom? Just one touch. My hope today is that maybe even someone who is coming back to church after a long time away, that there would be one moment, one word, one prayer, one song, one person one interaction, one sense of the goodness and the grace of God crossing whatever barrier you feel has separated you. Just one touch, just one. And it's almost impossible to describe what that did for this grieving widow because moments before she had nothing. Not only did she lose those she loved, but she couldn't even support herself. You know, in this culture, if you didn't have a husband or you didn't have a son, those were your means of support. But Jesus touches this boy. He comes back to life and Jesus carries the boy to this single mom. And not only does he give her son back, but he gives her hope back. And it's my prayer today for somebody who feels anxious and somebody who feels afraid and somebody who feels bitter and agitated or for someone even like me, depressed. 
that you would experience just one touch. God would give you your hope back. Just one touch. I just, I grieve knowing how many disconnected, hurting, lonely people there are in our community these days, emotionally, spiritually. I grieve because I get it. And there are are days when even though I, I intellectually know that God is not far, he feels far. I can't hear him. I can't sense him. And I just want to hear something, anything, a word, just a touch. When this widow's only son experienced the resurrection life from the only son of God, there was nothing that was dead that his compassion couldn't bring to life. Folks, I'll preach it until I believe it. We're gonna get our hope back. Jesus is coming for you. He's pursuing you. He's pursuing me. He's crossing lines for you. He cares about you. It takes just one touch. Amen? So Father, today, I pray in the name of the one who is resurrection life that you would touch those who are hurting, those who are afraid, those who are confused, those who feel alone. For all those who just really want to experience your compassion, who want to know that you care, who just, who just need a touch. I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed. I'm going to ask the band even not to look around or tech people not to look around. But if that's you this morning, I think the best way to begin this series is with some authenticity. Who just needs a touch from God? Who who would be willing to even raise their hand right now? They need a touch. Yeah. Yeah, I see you. God sees you. Yeah, who else? Yeah. Say, I just want one touch. Father, I pray for those who may feel like I felt, kind of like heaven was silent, and I'd pray that you just crack it open and send one moment, one word, one song, a word of encouragement, one prayer, one scripture, just a touch, Lord. And God, that we would recognize, believe it, Take it to the bank that you have noticed us, God. That you see the pain, you see the depths, and you care. And God, as you love us, give us that same type of compassion for those who are hurting, those who are broken, those those who are afraid and lost. God, make us line crossers. Not drawing lines to keep people out but doing whatever it takes to love God for those who are hurting today reveal to them just how much you have noticed them just how much you care God give them just 
one touch. Even the hem of your garment, I pray. We're reaching out to you. Give us a miracle of your presence. Will you stand with me?